Good evening, everybody. Right off the bat, I apologize that we don't have PowerPoint. I, I had to, I ran off and forgot my iPad. And so I had to decide between, do I have notes or do I have a PowerPoint for you? And I, I opted for me having notes. So I apologize <laughs> right off the bat. Uh, let's go ahead and start with a prayer if we could. Most Holy Father, we are so incredibly thankful to have the scriptures and the ability to, to read those scriptures that have been passed down uh, for thousands of years. And Father, we thank you for the story that the scriptures tell us, the story of how you love us, the story of how you chose your people, Israel, to uh, bring about your son into the world, uh, to save mankind, to bring your blessings to all of us. And Father, we pray that as we study the scriptures tonight and every day, that you will draw us closer to each other and closer to you and closer to your son, Jesus. We thank you, Father, for your spirit who lives within us. And we pray, Father, that you help us to walk by the spirit today and every day. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I'm hearing a different class. Is that right? Yes? Okay, perfect. We're having all kinds of fun technical issues, so... Yeah, it's going to be a night of that, I guess. So that's the, the fun with technology. So th again, as always, thank you for, for being here. Thank you for making time out of your busy week to be with your church family, to um, encourage us with your presence, uh, and to continue to study scripture together. So we've been for the last, this will be our fourth class. So for the last four sessions, we've been doing, going through the 11 points that I sort of arbitrarily to some degree, uh, mapped out of the story of the Old Testament. And typically I have all 11 on the screen, but you know, I mean, you have the benefit tonight of getting a, a, a pop quiz without the benefit of the screen. So uh, we get to, to try together to remember uh, those 11 points. So anybody want to remind me what the first one is? Chosen, Chosen right? Yes. God chose Abraham and specifically, or maybe more accurately, chose uh, Abraham's family. Um, and then even to be more specific than that, he chose Jesus, right? The seed of Abraham to bring his blessings to the nations of mankind, to every family of mankind. So the first part of the story is chosen. And then secondly, we said liberated, right? The exodus from Egypt, the freedom, the salvation from slavery, Third, wandering. That's the one we talked about last week, the book of Numbers. We talked about how God rescued the people from, from Egypt, from slavery, and was bringing them to the promised land. And then what happened? Why were they wandering for 40 years? Okay, they, they were sinful. Yeah. What else? They didn't trust God, right? They, they complained. They, they got to the edge of the promised land. They spied it out. They said, yep really is flowing with milk and honey. It's wonderful. The fruit is great. The, the land is great, but there's giants in the land and there's no way that we could take on giants. And they're right. They could not take on giants, but who could? God. And they forgot that God is with us. Uh, so they wandered in the wilderness for a whole generation until that generation passed away. The one we're going to talk about tonight, number four is victorious, right? We'll talk about that here shortly. Uh, then after they were victorious and they conquered the land, then there was a period of 
lawlessness. We, we call that the period of the judges as they ruled over and saved the people. So lawless and then next, ruled. They were ruled by a king. We'll talk about King Saul and that reign for in a, in a couple of weeks. And then after they were ruled, then they were united. So we had the period of the United Kingdom. And then after they were united, they were quickly divided. And we they have the kingdom split in two. And then after they were divided, they were quickly exiled to Assyria first and then to Babylon. Later, Babylon would become uh, the Medo-Persian Empire. And then they finally returned. They returned back to the promised land. But even though they were home, it wasn't home. And the fulfillment of all of the prophecies, all of this wonderful season of peace and joy and all of the blessings and fulfillment of all of the expectations still wasn't, didn't come to fruition just because they were back in the promised land. So there is a period of waiting, waiting. So they they spent this period waiting. We call that the intertestamental time, but also the post-exilic time after the, after the exile waiting for the Messiah. And then finally, in the New Testament, the Messiah comes and the fulfillment of all of the prophecies and all of the blessings comes through Jesus. So again, just to kind of carve out this big picture of what the Old Testament is all about, it's all about a family, right? One family, one nation of people, the family of Abraham, and how God used this family, chose this family, because they were really good people, right? Is that why? No, they were pretty much just like all of humanity, right? They were flawed. They were sinful just like everybody else. Was it because they were really strong, and mighty, and powerful? No, they weren't strong. They weren't mighty. They weren't powerful. They, they were nobody. They, they weren't a people before God chose them. But God chose them because God is strong, because God is mighty, because God is good. And so he chose them. Was it For their sake alone that he chose them? No. For whose sake? All the nations of mankind. That he wanted to bring all of these blessings through their seed, through Abraham's seed, specifically being Jesus. Uh, Again, when we talk about being saved, when we talk about in the New Testament being saved, we should hear that language through this story, right? That we are saved just like Israel was saved from slavery. And in our case, it's not maybe a literal slavery or not a slavery like we typically think about, but it's no less deadly or horrific. And and who is our slave master? Satan and sin and death, right? And we are all held captive by that that captor, that, that evil one, that ruler of Satan and using sin and death to hold us captive. And then because we're forgiven in Jesus, we are liberated. We are rescued. We are saved just like the people of Israel were saved. In fact, to say just like the people of Israel is to imply that we are someone else than the people of Israel. But really in Christ, we are Israel. We, we become a part of this family story so that this This story of the Old Testament, I really get uncomfortable the way we talk about it as if this is just just some sort of a um, a, a long parable about something else. And we typically try to to put things in sort of a, a dichotomy, a binary. It's this one is physical and ours is spiritual. I don't really like that dichotomy because really this is one continual story 
that you and I get to be a part of. Paul puts it in terms of like a tree and you and I as Gentiles get grafted into the tree. We're a branch that gets grafted into this tree. So this story of Israel isn't just like a a parable or a metaphor. Not only did it really happen, but in Christ, this is your family story. This is your family. This is the family you get to be a part of. And it was always headed in this direction. Not only is this whole story headed towards Jesus, but it was always headed towards the time when the nations would be grafted into, would be included into the story of Israel. So it isn't as if we just talk about Israel in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament. It's all Israel. And you and I, even though we're Gentiles maybe, we get to become part of the Israel story through Jesus because he is the true seed of Abraham. Again, last week we talked about that warning that that we find in the book of Numbers in that wandering period, right? Because it's a warning not only to the next generation, but then the next generation and the next generation and the next generation up to ultimately our generation because we are the most current generation of Israel. We don't normally think of it like that, that, but we are. We are the most current generation of Israel. And as the most current generation, it's our duty and obligation to look back at previous generations of Israel, including the generation that wandered in the wilderness. And remember, were they liberated? Yes. Were they saved? Were they redeemed? Did they experience the power of God? Did God love them? Did God dwell with them? Did God seal them? Did did God make his promises to them? Yes, 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 yes. Just like you, you, you have gotten to see more of the big picture than they did. But if they fell away and were cut off and died in the wilderness because of their lack of faith, can that happen to you? Yes. Can it happen to me? Yes. So as the the most current generation of Israel, we have to look back and remember both the moments where Israel trusted, our forefathers trusted in God and listened to him and obeyed him, but also those moments where they didn't and, and recognize and learn from the consequences that they suffered so that we don't suffer the same consequences. Now, we've gotten to the point of the story. We're calling this period victorious. It is a victorious moment, but we we see them wander in the wilderness. So a whole generation has died and passed away and a new generation has come along. These were the the children, maybe they were kids when they came out of, of slavery, but a lot of them weren't even born yet. Weren't even born when they left Egypt and they've been their whole life, they've been wandering in the wilderness. So all they've ever known is sort of being a nomadic people, wandering in the wilderness, hearing these promises someday, 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 we're going to get to the promised land and we're going to arrive there. And finally, that someday has come. And we read, this is the book of Deuteronomy. I would put it up on the screen, but again, I'm sorry, there's no screen. Uh, but Deuteronomy, it it's, comes from two Greek words and together it means second law. Deuteros nomos, second law. Now, why would it be called second law, do you think? Is it a, a new law or a different law? No, same, same law, but why is it the second law? 
It's the next generation, right? So it's, the, it's a repeating of the law. So now Moses has brought them right up again, new generation, right up to the promised land and said, okay, let's try this again, folks. <laughs> we, we tried this before. Let's try this again. God loves you. He's chosen you. He wants to dwell with you. He wants to give you this land. He wants you to dwell in this land. He, he wants to exile the people that are currently there because of their sin. The land is going to vomit them up. The land is, is tired of them because of their sin, because of their idolatry. They forfeited their right to occupy that land and you're going to get to go in and it's going to be your land. But in order for all of that to happen, you have to listen and love the Lord your God. So this is what the, the second law or the book of Deuteronomy is all about. Look at Again, you'll have to, sorry, follow along in your Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 5, and we'll read several verses there in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And again, I mean, you know me, but I, I love whole books of the Bible, and Deuteronomy is one of those, wor- those books that if you, I, I, and I understand, I get it, why, why Bible reading plans die in Leviticus, I, I get it, but but really, if you've, if you've been reading through the Bible and you, you read Genesis and, okay, that was, that was pretty good. You read Exodus, okay, cool. You know, you're picturing Charlton Heston in your head. And, you know, you get through Exodus and then you hit Leviticus and you're like, oh, I don't know. And then you get to Numbers and there's a bunch of genealogies and you kind of get bogged down. And you may not even make it to Deuteronomy, but Deuteronomy is rich. It's rich. Especially when you, you think about what Moses is telling them. You have two ways you can go, folks. Two ways you can go. Life and death. Life and death. Trust and obey or don't trust God and disobey him and die. It's your choice. I set before you life and death. Choose life so that you can live. Look at Deuteronomy 4 verse 5. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Do you see? Even, even at this point in Israel's history, God was concerned not just with Israel, but the testimony that Israel was going to be to the nations, that they were going to be a light for the world, a city set on a hill, the salt of the earth. He wanted them to be that, right? So that they would look and say, wow, this law that they follow is wise and their God isn't way up somewhere. Their God's not a stone statue. Their God is right there camping out with them, living in a tent amongst them. Their God loves them like no other God. I want to be a part of this people. From the very beginning of the story, the story of Israel has always been, whether everybody in the story realized this or not, It's always been an an inclusive story, hasn't it? In a minute, we'll get to the city of Jericho. One of the very first people we meet in Jericho, Rahab, she, she decides she wants to be included in this people of Israel. And guess what? She's included in the people of Israel. It's always been an inclusive story. 
That, that doesn't mean that there's not rules. <laughs> there's not law. Of course there's law and rules. It doesn't mean you can come in and do whatever you want to. That's not how this story works. But it's inclusive in the sense that it was never just for the people who were ethnically Hebrews, ethnically Israelites, ethnically descended from Abraham. God has always been concerned for the nations. He's always been concerned for this people being a light to the world. Chapter 4 and verse 9. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. So he tells them, remember, remember your God. Remember your encounter with God. Remember your God. Remember what your God has taught you. Obey him and then teach your children. Teach your children. Generation after generation, remember your God. Remember what he's taught you. Obey him. Teach your children. Teach your children. Teach your children. This is the way you're going to live and dwell in the land. Is you're going to remember who you are. Remember what God has done for you. Remember the covenant that he's made with you. Remember the, the, the stipulations of the covenant, the rules, the laws. Obey them and then teach your children to do the same thing. Look at chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Same kind of thing. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, that first word in Hebrew, Shema, so to this day, Jewish people continue to say the Shema at my house, my family, every single night before we go to bed, even if it's a long, long day and we've played lots of baseball and done lots of things, still we say the Shema every night. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. When Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? This is the first thing that he said. And he said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Without this, there is no Israel. Without this, there is no covenant. Remember your God. The Lord, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, as we go through Deuteronomy and we think about loving God, I want you to help me define or... or describe what does that mean to love God? Look at verse six, Deuteronomy six. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand 
and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of a house of slavery. Already, what does that mean? To love God. What does it mean to love God in this context? Trust Him. him. Absolutely. Trust Him. Trust Him. Absolutely. What else? Fear Him. Fear Him. Recognize what He's done for you. This gratitude towards Him for all that He's done for you. Fear Him. Trust Him. Remember Him. Say it again. Give your all. Give your, all, your whole self. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and your might, your soul, your strength, everything that you are and everything that you have. Obedience? Would we say that goes along with that? I mean, this is all in the context of the law. But I want us to see that the law is highly relational. Relational. See, sometimes, again, we create this false dichotomy between the Old Testament and the New Testament. See, the Old Testament God, oh, he was a God of rules and a God of obedience and a God that wanted you to fear him, a a God of, you know, here's all the checklist of things. And the God of the New Testament, he's relational God. He's Father God. Wrong. They all go together. All of this goes together. He's not a different God from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He's more fully revealed in the New Testament than he was in the Old Testament. He's the same God. His rules, his law has always been highly relational. It's never been a checklist of things that you could just go through. This is what the the primary problem that God had with Israel. Sometimes there was times they were technically checking things off the list. They honored him with their lips, but their heart was far from him. It has to be relational. This is is the God of the universe that chose a people out of his own goodness and said, I want to camp with you. I want to live with you. I want to restore you to my presence. I want to fulfill my promises for the whole world through you. And in order for us to live in this relationship, it's going to be like a husband and a wife or like a father and a child. How amazing that the God of the universe would adopt one family as his child. That the God of the universe would would marry one people and say, I want to be married to you. I want to be in covenant with you. Are there rules to to being married? Of course. Are there rules to being a, a child and a father in relationship? Of course, every relationship has rules right? Every relationship has expectations. Every covenant has stipulations. And so God has relationally made a covenant with the people. So every word of the rules, every word of the law is highly 
relational. And he expects them to not only keep it, but teach the next generation. Chapter 7, starting in verse 6, Deuteronomy 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Again, highly relational, of course. Is there a certain way to live as God's covenant people? Yes. Has that changed? No. It's always been a choice, though. God is giving them a choice. You can live as my covenant people and live under my wings, and I'll protect you, and I'll bless you. You'll be mine. You'll be mine. And I will will do for you what a husband would do for a wife. I'll do for you what a father would do for a child. You're going to be my family, my treasured possession, if you live this covenant out. But if you don't, you're not under my wings anymore. You're going to live like everybody else and suffer the consequences that every other people has. And again, the same is true for us. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus. You don't have to be part of this story. Nobody's forcing you to be part of this story. But if you choose to be included in this people, then you get to live under the shadow of God's wings. You, you get to have him do for you what a husband would do for his wife. You get to have the God of the universe do for you what a father would do for his child. That's amazing, isn't it? And how would we, how would we do anything else but say, I trust you, Father. I, I trust you. I'll, I'll live life your way. Does that mean we have to sacrifice some things? Of course it does. Does it mean we can't go the way of everybody else? Of course it does. But it also means... You get to live forever. You get eternal life because that's what God does for his people. He gives them life. And whether or not you choose to embrace that gift and receive that gift is up to you. Deuteronomy chapter 9, starting in verse 4, he says, Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out, the people of Canaan, thrust them out before you. It's because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas... It is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. When I read that, four words come to my mind. By Grace through faith. By grace through faith. That's not a new, quote unquote, New Testament concept. 
This has always been the case. He says, don't boast and think, well, God drove out all those Canaanites because we're better than them. No, you're not. It's not because you're upright, because you're good. It's because they were evil. And if you follow in their evil and their wickedness, same thing's going to happen to you, bud. But if you trust me, I'm a God that keeps my promises. And I will keep my promises to you because I, I love you and I chose you. I'm going to keep these promises to you, but in order to receive these promises and remain in these promises, you have to trust me. You have to love me. You have to obey me. You have to keep this covenant. Does that mean that there was any sense in which Israel earned the promised land? No, there's no earning it. It's by grace through faith. Does that remove any obligation to be obedient? Of course not. Faith is obedient. Faith says, I trust you. And because I trust you, I'm going to live life your way. I'm going to live life according to the covenant, according to this agreement that we have. Not, again, not just like keeping a checklist of things, but relationally. I'm going to live like I'm your child because I am. I'm going to live like we are your spouse because we are. Okay, so Moses gives them this law, but then guess who doesn't get to go into the promised land himself? Moses. Because as great of a deliverer as Moses was, he wasn't perfect. And he died before he reached the promised land. So again, even Moses leaves us hoping for, wanting a better lawgiver a better deliverer, a better savior. And so Moses dies before they enter in. And then who takes over after Moses? Joshua. And so as they're about to go into the promised land, Joshua takes over. By the way, the shortened version of the name Joshua is Yeshua. Yeshua. In, in English, we typically say Jesus. Jesus and Joshua are basically the same name. And, and they mean in Hebrew... Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. And again, we see that through the life of Joshua, right? That Joshua becomes the conduit through which Yahweh brings salvation. He's appointed to bring salvation for the people and bring them into the promised land. Look at Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Joshua 1 and verse 5. God is telling Joshua this. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Again, by grace. This is God saying, I keep my promises. I promised Abraham, I promised Isaac, I promised Jacob, I promised this to this people, and I'm going to keep my promises. And you receive the promises by faith. There's not a single moment in this whole story that you should be able to boast and pat yourself on the back and say, well, I earned God's favor, I earned God's blessings. Nonsense. If you have God's favor, it's only because God is gracious. And he blessed you because he said he was going to and you receive those by trusting him. 
Verse 7, only be strong, again to Joshua, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Again, it's almost like a roadmap, isn't it? It's not, it's not like you're going to earn blessings. It's like I'm, I'm showing you, I'm showing you, I'm laying it all out right here in front of you because I, I love this people and I've promised this people. And if you just follow this map, if you just live in covenant with me, I'm, I'm going to continue to be right there with you and deliver you and save you and love you and bless you. It's, it's almost like, we said this a couple weeks ago, it's almost like coming back into the Garden of Eden, isn't it? I think that's exactly how we're supposed to picture it. It's almost like here's this partial remnant of humanity that's getting to go back into the garden, a land flowing with milk and honey. The presence of God is there going back into the garden. And again, just like in the garden in the beginning, was there a rule in the beginning? Yes. Don't, don't, don't grasp hold of the knowledge of good and evil. Trust me. Trust me. Love me. Obey me. And I will give you all that you need and more but we're people, aren't we? And over and over again, we we don't trust him. Verse nine, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And isn't that at the heart of so much of our disobedience? Fear. Fear. If I don't do things my way, if I do things God's way, might not work out. If I, if, I don't, if I don't go ahead and seize this right now, if I don't go ahead and do this right now, if I don't follow my own heart, if I don't do what seems right to me, then, then I don't know how things are going to turn out. And because we're afraid, we don't trust. Because we don't trust, we don't obey. Don't be afraid. Don't be frightened. I'm with you. Trust me. Obey me. So they enter in the promised land they, they have another parting of the, of the waters, right? The Jordan River. The, the waters are parted before them, just like the generation before when they crossed the Red Sea. The waters are parted before them. They go in. First thing that they do, the, the men are circumcised. Circumcision is an incredibly important part of the story because it's a, it's a sign of the covenant. It's not the covenant, but it's a sign of the covenant. It's a way for God to seal his people to say, those are my people my unusual people, my holy people. Those are my people. And it was a sign or a seal of the covenant. As, as God's people today, we are sealed with, with a sign that we belong to God. What, what is our seal or our sign? The, the Spirit of God is, is how God seals us. He circumcised our hearts. And then God gives them Jericho, right? How does God give them Jericho? Because they're mighty warriors? Nope because they marched around the walls, just like God told them to do, trusted them. And, and, then, uh, and then the next time they, they go up against Ai, the city of Ai, A-I, what, what happens then, the next battle? Do they win or lose? 
they lose, right? Uh, because they, they didn't trust, because Achan stole some of the things that he wasn't supposed to. But then when they, when they take care of that problem, and they once again trust God, then he gives them victory. And he gives them victory after victory after victory after victory. Doesn't matter how strong the enemy is. Doesn't matter how big they are. God drives them out and he destroys them. Because God can do whatever he wants to. It's his land and he's giving it to his people. And as long as they trust him, he protects them, he blesses them, he helps them, he supports them. And God continues to give them the land. But then Joshua, of course, because he's not Jesus, he, he gets old. And eventually he's near the end of his career and his life. And he he goes the way of all men. And before he goes the way of all men, has the land been totally conquered? No, but God says, hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. There's, there's, there's more to conquer, but I'm going to drive them out just like I drove out everybody before them. I'll continue to drive them out. You just have to continue to keep covenant and obey me and follow me, trust me, and I'll continue to drive the people out. Spoiler alert. Did they? No, they didn't. And the people continued to be a thorn in their side. Uh, but before Joshua dies, here's what it said. Look at chapter 23, starting in verse 1. We're going to wrap up by reading Joshua 23, starting in verse 1. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was, Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I've already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it, neither to the right hand nor to the left. Same thing we read in Deuteronomy, right? Now, now again, a new generation is being told the same thing. Keep the covenant. Don't turn to the right or the left. Just, just do what you're called to do. Be the people that you're called to be that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling, cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Cling to him. Do not worship their gods. Do not worship their gods. Cling to Yahweh. Verse 9, for the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Verse 11, be very careful, therefore, to what? Love the Lord your God. Trust him. Cling to him, obey him, fear him. The God of the universe chose y'all. The God of the universe chooses you to dwell with you, to bless you, to love you, to make you his treasured possession. You ought to be so incredibly grateful. Live like it. And again, 
as the new Israel, it's not just to them that these words are spoken. It's to you. For if you turn your back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Now again, is it because God hates those people? Is that why he's saying this? No. No. Is it because God is a racist and he only wants them to to remain ethnically pure? No. It's because he loves the world. It's because he loves the nations. He loves them. And that's why Israel has to be Israel and show them that they are different and call the world to be like them rather than to go into the world and be like the world. Again, God wants to bring about the salvation of all the nations. But if If Israel goes and isn't an unusual people, isn't an extraordinary people, isn't a different people, isn't a holy people, but becomes a common people and becomes just like everybody else, then how can they be part of the plan that God is setting forth? And yet, and yet, God continues to hold on to them after they do exactly that. Continues to hold on to them because he's bringing about Jesus and He's bringing about your salvation. And he's warning them, don't do that. Don't be conformed, be transformed. Verse 14, and now I am about to go, again, Joshua is speaking. I'm about to go the way of all the earth and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Can we not say the exact same thing? God has always kept his promises. Trust him. Trust him. Be faithful to him. Verse 15. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly off the good land that he has given to you. Again, both in Deuteronomy and in Joshua, the choice is yours. Trust and obey or don't trust him. Don't obey. Trust him and live. Live. You'll have life. Life. And even for those that did exactly that, who trusted and obeyed throughout their lifetime, because there were, there were plenty of Israelites who trusted and obeyed. And then they died. But do you know what's going to happen to them? By the power of Jesus, the Messiah, they're going to be resurrected and live forever. Why? Because in their generation, they trusted Yahweh. And do you know what's going to happen to you? If you trust God, you are going to be resurrected and you are going to live forever. But again, the choice is yours. It's your choice. Trust or don't trust. Obey or disobey. The choice is yours. You can live as God's covenant people and live forever because of his grace and mercy and love. Or you can live like everybody else. 
and just go join the nations and do what the nations do. Just live however your neighbors live and do whatever they do and suffer the same fate that they suffer. Same thing, everybody suffers, right? Everybody knows that. You can go ask any atheist in the world, what's going to happen to you in the end? I'm going to die. And you can suffer that fate too. Or you can live. The choice is ours. But here's the thing, right? From the beginning to the end, the faithful have nothing to fear. The faithful have nothing to fear. That, that's not the perfect. There's no perfect people here or there. God never expected them to be perfect. He made provision for their sin. He knew they were going to sin. He knew they were going to mess up. That, that was never the expectation. Be perfect in the sense of morally perfect, never making a mistake. That was never the expectation. The expectation was be faithful. And they could do that. In every generation, they could be faithful. And so can we. We can be faithful. We can love him. We can cling to him. We can trust him. We can be victorious. And, and then we live forever. And we inherit, Romans 4 says, Abraham's people will inherit the world. Jesus says, the meek will inherit the earth. The world to come is yours. The promised land is yours. The city of God is yours. Life eternal is yours. If you cling to him, if you trust him, if you follow Jesus, it's all yours, all the promises. And God never breaks his promises. And that means the faithful have nothing to fear. Let's pray. Most Holy Father, again, thank you that for our benefit, you have kept this record, this inspired record, that we may follow the example of those who had faith and that we may avoid the mistakes of those who did not trust you. Father, thank you especially for Jesus, for the seed of Abraham, for your son, for the salvation that you have brought for the whole world through him. And thank you, Father, that you've given us the opportunity to choose to be part of your covenant people. And we pray, Father, that you help us to be faithful unto death and know that you will give us the crown of life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.